Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, and that's in page 1102 in the church Bibles. Um, Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. <clears throat> In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with, with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thanks, Abby. Let's pray as we start, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word here in the book of Acts. We pray that you would open our hearts by your Holy Spirit uh, to see what you are saying to us this evening and to see Jesus more clearly, to be filled with your love and power and sent out to live for you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, let me add my own welcome to Emmanuel this evening, a particular welcome if you're new or visiting or here for the first time. Uh, it's great to have you with us tonight. My name's Tom, I lead the church here, and we're continuing our series this evening in the book of Acts, chapter 9, just read to us by Abby. Uh, and we come this week to the story of the Damascus Road. Uh, and two things happen in this passage. Paul uh, undergoes a radical conversion. Jesus breaks into his life, turns it 180 degrees. Uh, and he's called and commissioned to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, which means people who aren't Jewish. 
Uh, and uh, you might notice that he was called Saul in this passage. I'm going to refer to him as Paul. Uh, that's because it was a bilingual society. They spoke Hebrew and Greek. And so most people had two names, a Hebrew name and a Greek name. So um, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. And he's called Saul here because we're still in Jerusalem, still in, in Israel. And then as he moves off around the world, to, around the Mediterranean, talking to people who weren't Jews about Jesus, then he's often used, referred to as by his Greek name, Paul. So I'll call him Paul this evening. Um, it's a really helpful passage for us uh, that we look at on our Commitment Sunday, as Johnny was talking about earlier, when we pray through and when we reflect on how God is calling us. Um, we respond to God's call by committing to follow it wherever he sends us. Uh, and that looks like all of our lives. Johnny was talking about money earlier, and we pray through and say, Lord, how would you have me use my financial resources? And that's a really important thing to do. Uh, in the talk this evening, we're not thinking about money so much as time and energy and gifts. What do we do with our, our being? With our, what do we do with our energy? What we do we do with our focus? Uh, where's God calling us to, to serve and to lead and to be? Uh, and this year, uh, as a church family, we've had a year where we've really stepped out, we've tested ourselves as we've tried to serve the community and particularly trying to invite people to discover how much God loves them. And at the start of the year in January, we might, you might remember, we started that, our Pray for Five. We all took a card. We thought of five friends or family members that we love and that we'd love to see meet Jesus and know his love for themselves so that they can know the good news that we have received. And we wrote down the names of five friends or family members. We've been praying for them all year that they might know how much God loves them and discover life to the full in Jesus' name. Um, now, we're not going to stop doing that. I hope you've enjoyed, I hope you've enjoyed praying for five. I know for many of us it's become a habit, a really good start of our day where we remember those people that we love so much. We pray that they might know God's love for themselves. Um, as we come to the end of the year, please don't stop praying for five. Please keep praying. It's a great habit for our whole lives, praying that those we love might know God's love for them too. Uh, and that's ended in the five Alpha courses that are just coming to an end now. And it's wonderful to hear some of those stories of how people have met Jesus for the first time. Uh, and we're going to keep going with Alpha, as Johnny said. So Pray for Five continues, Alpha continues. We still want to be looking outwards and serving our community. Um, but we're not going to be talking about it quite as much the next few months as we have been the last few months, because we're going to start focusing on some other things as a church family, and two in particular next year. Uh, and the first is our, our community, our life together, our, our church family. We belong to each other because we're all one in Jesus. Uh, and so from January, we're going to have a time where we really focus on our relationships together. We're going to be thinking about our welcome and our pastoral care and our small groups and how we can care for one another better in this church family. Uh, and that leads really naturally to the second thing that we're going to be focusing on next year. And we're going to focus on this probably after Easter, but it's also what our passage today is about, which is about our calling. If we all belong in this church family, we know that we belong. But do we know where we belong? Do we know what it is that God has called us to do? Do we know what gifts he's given us that can help other people? And we're going to be thinking about how God has called us, how we can serve each other. So this evening, we look at the story of Paul's, call, um, Paul's conversion and his, this time where he is called and sent. His whole life's purpose is revealed. Uh, we all want to know the purpose for our lives, don't we? It's, there's nothing worse than feeling like I don't have any purpose, I don't have any meaning. We feel so depressed and, and, and lost, don't we, when we can't see what it is we're trying to do. Uh, and on the other hand, when we know our purpose, when we know why we're here, when we know what we're trying to achieve, when we're spending our time and our energy on something that we believe in, when we can see that our lives are making a difference, we know that we're living the way that we were made to live. 
And so this question of calling this evening, it's really, it's the question, what, what are we here to do? What is the purpose of your life? How is it that God has made you? What are you here for? What's he put you here to do? And there's nothing like discovering your purpose in life, nothing like discovering why you were made, so that as you lead or serve or give all of your time and energy to whatever it is you've been called to do, you, you have that feeling, this is what I was here for, this is why I was made, this is why I exist. Uh, and the story of Paul's calling here in Acts chapter 9, it's actually repeated three times in the book of Acts. Uh, and that's because Luke's really wanting to underline and, and make us pay attention to what happens here. Because what happens to Paul is something that God wants to happen for all of us. And um, Paul discovers God's grace in two particular ways in the passage tonight. Ways that God wants all of us to discover his grace too. So let's pick up the story and see what happens and how we can learn from it. And we start in verse 1, and Paul is persecuting the church. He's not a Christian. He thinks that Christianity should be stamped out. He's killing Christians, throwing them in prison. Uh, and he goes and he gets authority from the authorities in Jerusalem to take a guard of soldiers and to go to Damascus and to find the Christians there so he can throw them into prison too and stamp out this movement before it travels around the world. Uh, and in verses 4 to 6, something happens when he's on the road to Damascus. There's a bright light. He falls off his horse. Uh, and he sees a vision of Jesus, and he, he, he says to this vision that he can see, he says, who are you, Lord? And in verses four to six, we, we see the reply, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Uh, and there's a real encouragement for us this evening, because Jesus is up in heaven at this point, he's not walking around on earth. But, so what does it mean for Paul to be persecuting Jesus? Well, Paul's persecuting Christians. He's been arresting and killing Christians. And Jesus so identifies with us, if we are followers of him this evening, that he says, when you're persecuting those Christians, Paul, you're persecuting me. They're my family. They're my body. I am with them. And so we see how close Jesus is to us who are following him. He says, you're persecuting me, Paul, when you're doing this to them. Uh, and so Paul is then taken into Damascus and he arrives not as the conquering hero as he expected to, not riding on his horse with his guard of soldiers and his letters of authority, not coming in in power. He's led by the hand, we read, he's blind, he's helpless and he has to, most galling of all, he has to receive his healing at the hands of one of these people that he's actually come to arrest and to kill. It's a really humbling experience and so we meet Ananias in verse 10. And Ananias is a follower of Jesus in Damascus. And in verses 10 to 12, God asks him to do something really stupid. Um, I don't know if God's ever asked you to do something really stupid. Uh, he does it all the time in the Bible. Uh, you can probably think of some of the stories. Go, go build a boat in the desert, Noah. That's a really good idea. Um, Gideon, you've got a big battle to fight. Send your army home. Just do it with a couple of hundred men. Throughout the Bible, God's telling people to do things that look stupid from human perspective. And it's only afterwards that they see what God was doing. Here, he says, go see the man who wants to kill you, Ananias. Uh, and Ananias, in verse 13 to 14, he tells God all the reasons that that's a really stupid idea. He says, no, Lord, I'm not going to go and see that man. He wants to kill me. Don't you know what he's like? Um, and Ananias resists, but God wins. Um, and God normally wins in these situations. I don't know if you've ever had this wrestle with God. You know the Lord's calling you to do something. No, God, that's a really stupid idea. There's all of these reasons I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to do that career change. I'm not going to give that money. I'm not going to sign up for that, whatever it is. God always wins. He knows better than we do. It's part of being God. 
Um, and so we normally resist because there'll be parts that don't always make sense when God calls us. He sees the big picture, we don't. And it's, and it's out of our comfort zone when God calls us. It'll be costly, there'll be risks to take. But, but when God calls us, it's the only place that we would want to be. Uh, I was talking to a friend this week who's had a total career change. He's had to move from being at the top of the career he had been pursuing, starting at the bottom of the ladder in a totally different direction. And there's been a big pay cut and financial consequences, and it's very humbling having to start at the bottom of the ladder again and lots of uncertainty. But he was saying, I knew that God was calling me to do this. I knew that God was in this. It's been really costly, but I have this amazing sense of peace. I don't regret it for a moment because I know that I'm following what the Lord is calling me to do. And perhaps you've had that experience too. When God calls you, says, this is what you're meant to be doing. There's often great sacrifice involved in doing that. But there's no, there's no peace, there's no reward, like being part of the reason we were made, to, to be part, to be fulfilling our purpose, living as God intended us to live. So Ananias goes to Saul, and he prays for him, and he offers grace in the face of the hatred that Paul had been showing. And in verses 15 to 19, we see the result. Um, God heals him and he commissions him. He says in verse 15, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. That's people who aren't Jewish. In verse 16, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in verses 17 to 19, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, encounters Jesus. He's physically healed. His, eyes, his, his sight returns. He's baptized and he goes out and he begins to preach. He begins to tell everybody what God has done for him. And um, we read the story of, we read Luke telling the story here in Acts chapter 9. In Galatians, Paul actually writes and describes what happened from his perspective, how it felt to him. Uh, I'll just read what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I don't know if you noticed the two halves of that passage. They really underline what's happening in Paul's life in this moment of calling. Uh, In the first couple of verses, it's all about him. Paul's life up to this point, uh, it was all about him. He was the subject of all the verbs. And he said, I was advancing, I was making progress, I was zealous, I was passionate, I was was advancing ahead of others in my age, I was on the, the career success track. He was doing really well at his chosen way of life. Verse 15, but God. And that's what we read about here in Acts chapter 9. It's a, a but God moment. God breaks in totally upends Paul's life. And all the verbs in the second half of that little passage from Galatians, God is the subject. Uh, God called me. God set me apart from birth. God showed me his grace. God revealed Jesus to me. God breaks into Paul's life and he totally upends it. He changed everything. And so God called Ananias in this story. He called Paul. And we're here today as a result of that transformation. And this evening, God is calling each of us to. And there's such a wonderful picture of the gospel here. This this passage just points us into the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Because think of it this way. If If I was God, or if you were God, and you had the early church in the first century, um, 
sentences always go badly when they start like that, don't they? If I was God and I was thinking, what's the best way of helping the church grow? Who would you pick to be its next leader? Who would you say, I'm going to pick this person. This is clearly going to be the model Christian. Take Christianity around the whole of the Mediterranean. There was Jesus. He did a good job. There were the 12 disciples. They did a good job. I would not have picked Paul. Someone going around killing Christians. It doesn't strike you as the obvious candidate to lead the church next, does it? Um, it's, it's unlikely that the people of the Ukraine are going to look to someone from the Russian government to lead them. It wouldn't make much sense. Uh, you suspect that the Israeli government aren't going to go recruiting among Hamas for people who are going to lead the country next. Uh, and those, those examples, they feel a bit painful, don't they? But that's literally what was happening here. Paul was literally killing Christians. Uh, he has blood on his hands. He is going around trying to stamp out the church. And that's who God picks to go and plant more churches than anyone else had ever done. God breaks into this man's life. He was a terrorist, one way of looking at it. And God breaks into his life, calls him, commissions him, he blesses him. And he sends him out to preach in the name of the person he's been persecuting up to this point. And if you've been coming to church any length of time or reading your Bibles, you'll know that is such, that's typical God. That, that is just such a picture of the way that God works, of the radical grace that Jesus shows. God transforms Paul's life. He gives him a commission he could never have imagined. But with hindsight, it makes perfect sense. We'd never have picked Paul. But actually, God uses all of Paul's story up to this point in this calling to go and preach to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul had spent years at the hands of a rabbi called Gamaliel studying rhetoric, and now he's sent to preach. He'd spent years studying the Old Testament, and now he's the one who goes to explain how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He was a pioneer, self-starter, type A, going around using all of his energy to try and stamp out the church. And God says, take that energy and use it to start new churches instead. That's just what God's like. He takes all of our story. He even takes the bad stuff. He takes the stuff in us that's broken or warped. He takes the things that we've done that were wrong. And he takes the experiences we had that we just wish we'd never had, the worst parts of our life. And he brings good out of evil. He, he redeems even what's broken. God takes our sin and redeems it. He gives us a second chance. And he doesn't just give us his grace in forgiving us. That's the first thing he does with Paul. You might say, God should have written Paul off. But no, God breaks into his life and says, uh, you're, you're welcome into my family too. Even though you're killing Christians, even though you're persecuting me, you can be forgiven. But it's not just forgiveness that God gives Paul. He gives him purpose. He gives him work to do. He says, not only am I going to forgive you, not only are you welcome in, but I've got a job for you. You have a purpose here. I've got, I've got work that I've intended for you. Uh, and we're all meant to learn from Paul's story. That's why it's in Acts. That's why it's repeated three times. God wants what happened to Paul to happen to us. Probably won't happen with a flash of light and a 180 degree turn in 60 seconds. Though for some people it does happen that way. For many of us it takes years and it's much more gradual. But there's two experiences of God's grace that Paul experiences that God wants for each of us. Uh, and the first is to receive God's grace and to know that we are forgiven and accepted. That whatever we've done, God still loves us. That whatever we've done wrong, we're not too far away from God. God wants to know each one of us, whatever we've done, whoever you are, whatever you've done, you can be forgiven. There is grace for you. Jesus has died in our place. He has paid the price. No one is counted out from God's love. He wants you to know his grace and forgiveness this evening. 
Uh, and it begins with repentance. It's a humbling experience, becoming a Christian, being forgiven. Paul Fordy was going to enter Damascus on a horse with his army, with the letters of authority. He comes in blind, led by the hand. And it's a humbling thing to recognise I don't deserve God's love. I have done things that are wrong in my life. I need God's grace, that I haven't got it all sorted. It's a really humbling thing to enter the kingdom of God. God offers that invitation to each one of us this evening to know his love, to be forgiven. There's a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. There's more grace and love in God than there is sin in us. That's the first experience of his grace he wants you to know this evening. He loves you. You are invited. You can be forgiven. There is a place for you at his table. Uh, but then there's another experience of grace, and that's, and that's the give, God's giving to Paul of this purpose, uh, a change in direction. He takes all the plans. When we become a Christian, we give all our plans, our ambitions, our dreams to God. Uh, and sometimes he says, actually, you need to go a different direction. Uh, and sometimes he gives them back to us, but redeemed, different, now that we're going to do his will rather than ours. None of us are beyond the grace of God. Every single one of us, he offers a second chance. Every single one of us, he has work for us to do. He has a purpose. He has a calling for your life. How do we know? How do we know what it is that he is calling us to? How do we know what the work God has for us is? He says here that Paul is God's chosen instrument to take the gospel beyond the Jewish people. Um, how do we know where we're called? I always like to share the quote from Frederick Beekner, who said this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's where you're called, to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. A helpful uh, little acronym I find is GPS. That's how God directs us. Uh, GPS, gifts, passions, and story. He uses our gifts, what we're good at. Uh, with Paul. Paul had had all this training and rhetoric. He knew the Old Testament back to front. He used Paul's gifts, his energy, uh, your passions, what, what you care about, what you love. He used Paul's passion for the glory of God and for exalting God and just reorients it to the way that it was meant to be. And your story, your experiences, your, the good experiences you've picked up, things you've had in your career, he uses those, the, the painful bits of our past, the things we wish had never happened. So often God can use them to enable us to minister in a way we'd never have been able to do if that had never happened to us. He didn't want those things to happen. They shouldn't have happened. But he can bring good out of them, just as he does with Paul. Where do you have that holy discontent, that frustration that there's something in the world that isn't the way it should be? Where, where do, is there a group of people you see and your heart breaks or a cause and you just think, this is wrong, something needs to change? When God gives you that burden for a cause, it's not so you can tell someone else there's a problem, go fix it. It's because he wants you to be part of the solution. This is the grace of God, that he doesn't just save us for our own benefit. He doesn't just save us to sit happy and idle in church. He saves us to be used by him, to take his love to the world and be part of the solution. He has work for each one of us to do. And God called Ananias, and God called Paul, and God is calling you this evening. More than that, he's, he's not just calling you individually, he's calling all of us together. This is the wonderful thing about being part of the church family. We're like a big jigsaw, we're all different shapes and sizes. We all contribute different pieces, but when we, you put us all together, then we, we weave this masterpiece, uh, what God is building in his church. We are the hope of the world. 
Jesus said he is the light of the world and he's made us lights to go and shine in the darkness together. That's what we're put here to do as a manual church here in Stoughton, to be a light in Stoughton, in Guildford, in our friendships, in our families, in our workplaces, to the ends of the earth, as we discover what it is that God has called each one of us individually to do. So this evening, please know you are not an accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord has made you uniquely for a reason. He has prepared in advance good things for you to do. He's got a job for you. You have purpose. And he invites you this evening, as Paul did, to receive his grace, to receive that second chance or third chance or fourth chance, to know that you are forgiven and accepted in him because Jesus has paid the price. The way is open. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is made perfect in your weakness. His grace is here for you this evening. It is enough. You are invited in. But, and not just to know the grace of forgiveness, but to know the gift of purpose, that he is calling you to do something more than you could have ever dreamed of. He has plans for you. You have something to contribute. And the Lord would love to work with you to discern what it is he is calling you to do. We often need an Ananias to help us there. It was Ananias in the human who helped Paul to step forward, who came, who spoke to him, who said, the Lord says, you're my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles who prayed for him. You might need an Ananias. And that's why we have things like small groups to chat together with others to help us see how we're made. You might be called to be an Ananias to someone else, to go to them and say, I can see where the God's calling you. He's put this in you. Uh, I think you should consider going that way. I think this could be your purpose. We can't go on this journey alone. We will need each other. Uh, but it begins in prayer. It begins with coming to the God who loves us and who made us, receiving his grace afresh, receiving his forgiveness, truly knowing, not just in our heads, but in our guts, that we are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. And then allowing him to call us out, to go to the world, to be part of the solution in a world that so needs God's love. So shall we pray together? Would you stand as the band come back? Uh, and let's do that. Let's do that now. You might find it helpful just to hold out your hands. As, and we do that as, because posture is important. Um, we're wanting to say of our posture that we are open to whatever the Lord wants to give us. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He appeared to Paul uh, on the Damascus Road 2,000 years ago. He is just as present here by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to meet with you this evening. Uh, so we're going to take a couple of minutes of quiet and we pray that ancient prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, would you fill us afresh? Would you lead us to Jesus? We need you, Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, we pray, as we wait on you. And in a moment, as we wait on God, just stay in that place. Uh, I'm going to invite you forward, if you want to make a physical response, to say, I need that grace from God. Uh, and it could be in one of those two ways. It might be that you think, I, I, I just need, 
I need God's forgiveness afresh. I need to know that I'm loved and accepted. I, I want to be forgiven. I want, I want to come in. I want to know his love for me, even though I don't deserve it. Uh, and if that's the way you're responding, you'd be coming forward to say, I know I don't deserve it, but I want God's love. I want to receive it. I need his grace there. Um, but you might also want to come forward if you want that grace of calling. If you're, you're saying, Lord, I want my life to count for you. Lord, Lord, I want to know where I'm called. I will go where you send me, but I don't know. Um, maybe you don't know where he's calling you. Or maybe you do know and that's the problem and you're scared and you, you need his strength to go in that direction. So in a moment, I'll invite you forward if you want to say, yes, Lord, I need your grace this evening. Either that grace of forgiveness or that grace of purpose to go out and be used by him. And we'll just, light, we'll just come and stand along the, the front here. Uh, and just, you can have that space with God. Prayer team might come and just put their hand on your shoulder to pray God's blessing on you, but no one will talk to you. It's just between you and God. So if you want to say that, if you want to say, yes, Lord, I need your grace, either forgiveness or for you to show me my calling. Uh, do you want to come now? Just come and line up along the front as we say to, to the Lord, yes, we want this. Thank you. Uh, so just come now if that's you, as we wait on him. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, we say we need your grace. We know we don't deserve your love. Thank you that you love us anyway. Would you give us more of your love, we pray. And we pray, Lord, that you would call us out. We, we know we need purpose. We want to live the lives we were created for. Would you show us how you've made us? Would you show us where you are calling us? You give us all that we need to follow you. Prayer ministry team could come and just lay a hand on, on these guys who've responded and pray God's blessing on them just quietly as we make that response and say, Lord, we'll go where you lead us. Thank you, Lord. More of you, we pray.